At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. I thought Mitch threw the ball well. Uh, you know, I mean, to give us five plus like he did. Uh, he continued to go out and compete. Like you said, the sinker wasn't the best one he's had in the three starts he's had it. He was able to execute the breaking ball. The slider early on was not as sharp as he would have liked. Uh, he was able to execute it in the fourth and fifth a little bit. But, uh, you know, it, it all comes down to we have to execute pitches after that. But I thought Mitch threw the ball outstanding. So do you see how solid of a premise bet against Mitch Keller Day is? Mitch Keller can pitch well and bet against Mitch Keller Day still hits. Go figure. It's that good. That's Derek Shelton after another Pirates loss. I'm Tim Benz. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers. More baseball coming up later. The U.S. Open begins Thursday, and Bet Rivers is giving you extra reasons to tune in and play. Just log in each day of the U.S. Open and receive a free profit boost to power up your tournament bet. Every round, a new boost for you to use before the round starts or while players are on the course. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Make your U.S. Open bets every day and get an extra boost while doing it at BetRivers. Go to the BetRivers app or visit BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Rory McIlroy, the favorite. That continues to hold at plus 900. Justin Thomas still at 1100 next. Followed by John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler, both at plus 1400 when we talk to Brian Taylor of Real Golf Radio on Thursday. We'll get his predictions, layout of the course, and we'll talk to him about all things golf, including the rival golf league conversation, all 
how that is impacting the PGA Tour and maybe how it affects gambling too. That'll be coming up on Thursday's Pittsburgh CityCast NBA Finals Game 5 last night. I told you it was going to be a dicey one. Warriors hedging against my Celtics in six pick turned out to be the smart thing for me to do last night. Hated to do it, but as it turns out, I was right in seeing that forest through the trees. Uh, As it turns out, if the Celtics don't win this final, letting Steph Curry get loose and go off in Game 4 will become the deciding factor. I'll look at that one as the pivot point where my Celtics in 6 bet exploded in my face. Now I've got to worry about hedging against my Celtics series prediction to win regardless of games played. That's the two teams face off again. And when is that? Sometime around the 4th of July, right? Oh, Thursday. That's right, Thursday. Apparently, they're going from California to Boston by train or something. Yes, let's drag this out a little bit more. Boy, that line is holding steady at four points again. Another game at four points. The Celtics are favored at minus 110 at that number and minus 165 on the money line. I had said the Celtics would win in six because I didn't think they could win in seven. And I thought they were going to win. Now I'm wondering if they're going to even get to a seventh game. I'll take the Warriors at plus four, minus 110. Or, like I said, to hedge against my series pick. I might just go Warriors at 135. That's plus 135 on the money line. The over-under is a little lower after last night. Down to 210.5 this time. I doubt Curry has another dog night from three, though. I bet his point total zooms. And that'll impact the over. Curry over 28 and a half. Give me that for game six. As for baseball, betting on the Pirates continues, at least betting against them anyway, and winning while doing so. They've now lost eight straight. They'll really put the pursuit of theory to test today if they lose the first game of the doubleheader. Does Mike follow his trend of always picking the loser of a doubleheader in game two? Or does he go with the Pirates likely to lose a ninth straight game and second in one day. We'll find out tomorrow when Mike joins us. JT Brubaker versus Matthew Libertor in game one. Bryce Wilson versus Miles Mikolas in game two. Boy, I sure like the Pirates' chances better in game one, don't you? That's going to be a hard one for Mike to determine, especially if the Cardinals do win game number one. I'm dying to see what he does there. You know what, though, is for Keller, he lost last night. Well, take that back. He didn't lose last night. The Pirates lost last night. I wanted the under. It didn't hold, but it wasn't Keller's fault. The run total was nine. It was 5 nothing when Keller left the game for the Pirates. The bullpen then imploded starting in the sixth inning and lost 7-5. to It's probably too early to say that Mitch Keller is reinventing himself based on his struggles early on in the major leagues. It's easier to argue that the first edition of Keller just hasn't been a completely finished product. That'd be the easier case to advance. But he does seem to be finding more success of late with an expanded arsenal of pitches. Monday night, Keller allowed just two earned runs and had the books closed on his start with a 5-2 lead before the Pirates' bullpen imploded. Over his last five appearances, three starts since May 18th, Keller has posted a 2-8-2 ERA with 20 strikeouts, and he is doing so with a greater reliance on diversifying his pitch selection. One big addition has been the development of a sinker. In his last outing against Detroit, Keller threw 42 sinkers, according to MLB.com. Since introducing the sinker, Keller's fastball usage has cratered to 23.7%. Instead of being the primary pitch, the fastball is now more of a game-dependent thing, and in his last outing, 
Keller threw a career-low seven fastballs. On Monday, he threw 25. Keller suggested that the new pitch is keeping hitters off balance, and that's basically what the slider is best for. In that same post that I referenced earlier from Justice De Los Santos, he suggests that Keller's implementation of a sinker has also been part of an uptick in pitch selection with increased velocity. His average fastball in 2022 registered at 93.8 miles per hour. As of his start Monday, Keller's fastball was averaging 96.1 miles per hour with the sinker pacing at 95 miles an hour as well. Yet through five innings of shutout pitching before Anthony Banda allowed two of Keller's inherited runners to score in the sixth, it was a curveball that got Keller through most of his recent outing. Kevin Gorman, my colleague at Trib Live, says that Keller threw a career-high 23 curveballs on Monday. Manager Derek Shelton credited Keller for adjusting midstream. Here's a little... Q&A from Keller after the game last night via AT&T Sportsnet. The sinkers helped a lot. Um, keep right-handed hitters honest. Um, gets me something running in on, the, on their hands. Uh, keeps them honest to uh, go away with the slider or curveball or whatever we may throw away. Um, just, I think that's all kind of had a uh, had a reasoning why stuff's kind of gone a little bit better for myself. Um, and just in big situations too, just, just taking a step back and um, really thinking about the situation and knowing who's on deck and uh, trusting it. Uh, midweek bullpens and stuff are, are great and um, just finding the way the ball moves. And, and now it's just going out there and trusting the that I have the capabilities of throwing it the way I throw it on the midweek side or anything like that. So I think uh, just just going out there with a bunch of confidence and filling up the zone has been, has been good for me. Mitch, threw a lot of curveballs today. What, what went into that? Um, it just me and Heine, just right off the bat, we didn't. I didn't really have a good feel for my slider uh, like I did last game. Uh, so it was, we got to find a way to throw another spin pitch for a strike or something that's going to get some swing and miss. So that's that's definitely why we went to more curveballs there than sliders. Um, I did throw a few good one, two or three good sliders. I think only all day really. They were later in the game, but um, but yeah, that's that's the reasoning for that one. Now, the season numbers are far from impressive for Keller. He's just 2-5 and five with a 5.07 ERA and a whip of 1.48. So maybe necessity has precipitated Keller's attempt to expand his repertoire. But he's not being stubborn. He's apparently willing to adjust better. And in yet another season with the Pirates, wins and losses are occurring in the vacuum of sacrificing results in the name of development. Then why not just develop on the big league stage, I guess? If that's okay with the major league club, then it should be okay with him. Small steps forward for Keller on the way to changes that could yield bigger results. Maybe one of the few bright spots in the first half of 2022 that now sees the Pirates at 24 and 35 and heading in the wrong direction. But keep some of those numbers in mind before you wager too readily on bet against Mitch Keller Day the next time it rolls around. As for today, the Pirates game against the St. Louis Cardinals, we're looking at a doubleheader as I referenced before. The Pirates plus 143 underdogs. The Cardinals minus 167 favorites. That's the first game. Nine and a half is the over-under. I'm going to go over on that one to start. The second game, the Pirates, as we hinted before, they're going to be bigger underdogs at plus 160. Cardinals at minus 182 because of the nightcap pitching matchup that I threw at you earlier. So, 
the line's a little bit tricky on betting the doubleheader. As for the Stanley Cup Finals game one, last data I had, Lightning plus 133 on the money line at the Avalanche, minus 155. The over-under is sitting at six. Avalanche money line, 51% of the money, 65% of the tickets. Avalanche spread, 65% of the money, 62% of the tickets. Over is getting 73% of the money on the goal total, 68% of the tickets. On the puck line, it's Avs minus 1.5 at plus 155. The Lightning getting 1.5. You'll have to spend it a minus 190 clip to get that, though. I'm going Avalanche tonight, and I'm also going with the Avalanche in the series. I say Avs in 7, but I don't feel great about it. The goaltending disparity is so overwhelming in favor of Tampa, I fear that could be a determining factor. One thing I love about Pittsburgh as a sports town is that it can still surprise me on occasion. Every now and then, something sports-related fires people up, and I just never saw it coming. From time to time, yins get a bee in your black and gold bonnets that I just don't see as being particularly buzzy. But as a talk show host and columnist, who am I to turn down a little unexpected content? Recently, I had an experience like that three times over the past two weeks. I found myself engaged in conversations with Penguins fans who were dead set on rooting against the Lightning to win the Stanley Cup again. Actually, check that. They weren't just rooting against the Lightning to win the Cup. They were rooting for the Rangers to beat them. The Rangers. Those same Rangers that just dispatched the Penguins in the playoffs thanks to King Chicken Wing and his headshot antics. The team with Igor, the amazing diving goalie, and their angry sucker-punching fans, those Rangers. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And the arguments weren't even relying on the tried-and-true, well, if the Rangers win, at least we can say the Penguins lost to the Eastern Conference champs, right? No, they were just about, I'm sick of seeing the Lightning winning. I just don't want to see the Lightning win again. I don't want to see them win three in a row. Okay, again, if you prefer that Colorado wins in the Stanley Cup final, I get it. I'm with you, big picture. I certainly understand why you would want the Avs to win, but if you're looking at the Lightning, especially against the Rangers, as we were talking about during the Eastern Conference Finals, what beef do you have with the Lightning? And what beef do you have with them as a team? What's funny is that no one mentioned the salary cap issue from 2021. Not that that debate surrounding that topic exactly rose to the level of Spygate or the Astros wearing wires and banging on trash cans anyway. At least the NHL didn't seem to think so. Instead, when I pushed back on the anti-Bolts argument, every response I got was just general angst with Tampa fatigue and some sort of quasi-jealousy or threat of how Tampa's run maybe looked upon more favorably than the Penguins winning back-to-back cups in 2016-17 and going to back-to-back finals in 08-09 and winning the 09 ring. Those arguments I don't get. First of all, in terms of fatigue... I don't feel like the Lightning are being marketed down anyone's throat in the NHL like, say, the Yankees of the early 2000s were in Major League Baseball, the Patriots of the last 20 years in the NFL. It's not like Tampa is a major hockey media market or franchise that moves the needle when it comes to television ratings to the point that they get overly favorable treatment from the international hockey media or the NHL. In terms of how the Lightning operate and how the team is constructed, what's not to like It's a collection of homespun draft choices and smart trades and signings. Isn't that what everybody aspires to see their team do? Andre Vasilevsky is the best clutch goalie of the past 30 years at least. He was a first-round draft choice. So was Stamkos, Kucherov, Hedman, Point, Palat, Kaloran. These are all original Tampa Bay draft choices. 
They drafted and developed their top players well on their own and supplemented from there by plucking guys from other teams. That's what every franchise and every cap sport or uncapped, looking at you, Pittsburgh Pirates, that's what every team should do. John Cooper doesn't bother me as a head coach. Does he subtly, passively, aggressively work the officials in between playoff games by lobbying for calls through the media? Sure. What other NHL coach doesn't do that? Sullivan does that. But I certainly like Cooper more than I do Gerard Gallant and his tacit endorsement and encouragement of how Jacob Trouba and the rest of his Rangers played in the Penguins series. Frankly, if any non-Pittsburgh sports team is going to win three in a row in any sport, it's hard for me to come up with a more worthy example than the Lightning. It hasn't been done in the NHL since the New York Islanders of the early 80s. It hasn't been done in major pro North American sports since the Lakers of 2000 through 02. If you don't think this Lightning team is worthy of being in that stratosphere, though, well, tough. The results are what they are. Even the Brady-Belichick Patriots couldn't win three Super Bowls in a row. And if that threatens our collective, delicate Penguin sensibilities over the Crosby-Malkin Penguins winning three but not in a row, too bad. Maybe they should have avoided blowing a third-period lead to the Washington Capitals in Game 5 of the 2018 Eastern Conference Semifinal then or losing Game 6 in overtime at home. Maybe they should have won the first final series versus the Red Wings in 08 and then Crosby and company would have had four rings. Well, they could have avoided conking out in the 2013 Eastern Conference Final against the Bruins, too. We all remember that one. Hey, the Lightning can empathize. It's not like this franchise is unfamiliar with playoff failure. The 128-point team of 1819, it got swept out in the first round by the Blue Jackets. That might have been the best iteration of the bunch for the Lightning. Does that sound familiar? 93 pens? 76 Steelers, 91 Pirates. Throwing that season into the mix, not to mention the 2015 team that made it to the Stanley Cup Final and the 2016 and 18 clubs that made the conference finals, this era of Tampa Bay hockey has been even more impressive than the scope of the last three seasons, and I have zero complaints about it. Up next, our weekly hockey chat with Brian Metzer. We discuss Tampa's matchup against the Avs in the Stanley Cup Final. We analyze the trade market for the Penguins, we discussed the prospect of Chris Letang staying in Pittsburgh for big money. All that to come here on the Pittsburgh CityCast. Bet River Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, Bet Rivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com today to sign up. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh, must be 21 gambling problem. Call 1 800 Gambler. It is the Pittsburgh CityCast, Tim Benz, Brian Metzer, as promised, back with you here as we are brought to you by BetRivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. As for the Stanley Cup Finals, game number one, it is Wednesday night, lightning at the time of our recording, plus 133 on the money line at the Avalanche, minus 157 on the money line, over under of six. And the Avalanche money line, 51% of the cash coming down on them, 65% of the tickets. The Avalanche spread, 65% of the money, 62% of the tickets. Uh, The over is getting 73% of the money, 68% of the tickets. Mets, let's start right there with the amount of times that the Tampa Bay Lightning 
held on to the under during their run through the Eastern Conference. I like that number. I also think it's going to be a little bit of a sloppy game with both teams not having played for a while. I think a little rust might come into play for the Colorado Avalanche. And with Vasilevsky and Net, you know, it's kind of weird, isn't it, insofar as we've got a team in Colorado who's like almost a 2-1 to favorite, minus 192 as a favorite in this series, yet Colorado doesn't have close to a goaltender that can match with Vasilevsky. You don't normally see in football at the quarterback position or hockey at the goaltending position a series where a significant underdog has the vastly superior player at goaltender or quarterback. It's it's rather unique. Yeah, I think you're right about that, Tim. I, I was laughing. I saw a headline the other day that said, the avalanche are favored in the series, but the lightning have the edge. <laughs> if that tells you anything. <laughs> and, there's, there's a headline. <laughs> yeah. That just kind of sums it all up. And, and I think that Vasilevsky can be a huge difference maker in that series. Uh, if he can play like he did. And I think the key for Colorado is going to be Tim to jump on them early, because if they can take a series lead and maybe run with it, they, they could be in good shape, but we've already seen it time and time again, that if the Lightning find a way to get ahead on you in a series, they don't often let that lead slip away. They're so good in putting their foot down and closing a series, which that's kind of what we lament here in Pittsburgh, right? That the Penguins can't really close it out. They've had three, three one leads, three two leads in series and found ways to lose these series. And we just saw the Lightning come back from two games to none down and reel off four straight. And once they got ahead three to two, you just knew that the series was going to go their direction. So Vasilevsky has a huge part in in that happening. Uh, his his record in um, closeout games is just remarkable. His numbers are eye popping. So yeah, I think that that's going to be a huge thing to keep an eye on with him and um, the uh, Avalanche goaltender. No matter who it, who it ends up being, if they can get Kemper back, great. But I, I don't really know. Um, that they would have an edge in any any day of the week, any season. So Vasilevsky is the key. If they can get to him, that's going to be a huge way for the Avalanche to find a way to make some hay. And I think that the first game is going to be kind of sloppy and maybe a little more high scoring than we would anticipate based on what we've seen throughout these playoffs. How often, Tim, have game ones been the one that puts up all the goals? I mean, whether it's a 5-4 kind of game or those crazy ones that Edmonton got involved in and Truthfully, even game one with Edmonton and Colorado was a little bit more high scoring than that series actually went overall, too. And then the way it was closed out, put up a ton of goals with the Avalanche uh, emerging. So I I think game one specifically with the time off could be maybe a little higher scoring than anybody anticipates. Interesting, because sometimes I equate the sloppiness to not being able to execute and thus lower scoring games, which can also be sloppy on defense. You're right about that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that could be, you know, something that could play into the hands of the offensive talent. I mean, the way Colorado is playing right now, I mean, Nathan McKinnon, red hot, McCarr, red hot. These guys are scoring. Burakovsky's been scoring. Uh, I, I feel like every every top gun on that team has found ways to put the puck in the net, and that's probably as big a reason of any why they are where they are. And over on the Lightning side, they're getting, like, great depth scoring from, from everybody. Steven Stamkos has picked up where he left off in the regular season. And, of course – the worst news for anybody involved here is as the playoffs have worn on, uh, Kucherov ha- has really quietly emerged. I mean, it's not as if we were 
hearing his name a ton early on in the playoffs, but I felt like he more than, than any other member of the lightning might've left his fingerprints on the final two games. Most of all in closing out the series against the Rangers. Brian Metzer with us, Pittsburgh Penguins radio network pregame host. You can also hear him on Saturdays, Penns live weekly with Paul Steigerwald during the season intermissions, post game as well. Check out Brian on the flagship for the pens. One Oh five, nine, the X we'll get to the pens more in just a second, Brian, but you know, you mentioned um, the closeout aspect of this, and you mentioned uh, teams just not being able to kill the Lightning. I mean, my gosh, they are vampires, aren't they? What, what was it? It was two up and then two nothing up in game three, right, for the Rangers? Yep. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, they win the game and reel off the four victories to take the series. And, I, you know, it was kind of funny to look at the Rangers when you saw them doing their, their end-of-season presser or the end-of-game presser. They just – they looked shell-shocked. I don't think that they had any clue what had happened to them. It was a, a really rough spot to be in, and uh, I think that that is just showing the swagger and the, the um, I guess, just experience that the Lightning have gathered, and it wasn't always that way. I mean, we saw just a handful of years ago, we're celebrating anniversaries here in Pittsburgh of Cup wins uh, in 16 and 17 and obviously 09, but in the season that the Penguins had to go through the Lightning, that was a really tough stretch for the Lightning when you look at them. They went through getting, you know, step by step by step. They kept getting further in the playoffs every year. Every time they thought it was their season, they just didn't have that experience to get over the hump. And now they are that team that just always finds a way to put the foot down. And as I mentioned with uh, Vasilevsky and his closeout statistics, uh, in their last eight series clinching wins, Tim, Vasilevsky is a .25 goals against average, 991 save percentage with six shutouts. So, I mean, you got to get to this guy early. If you give him a chance to get into that lockdown kind of game, he gets it done more often than not, and the team gets it done around him. So they have just found ways to, to never die. They are the Michael Myers of the National Hockey League right now. Every time you think someone has them dead to rights, they sit up in the background. It's like the Jamie Lee Curtis scene where she's there and she's holding the hanger and she thinks she's kind of bested him. And then you just see him sit up in the back and the head turns. That's the lightning. Guess folks aren't so worried about the blocker with Vasilevsky anymore. Are they? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's there. There's, he just is so huge, right? I mean, it, it, it's like, I don't know that anything is really susceptible. You just have to kind of catch him on a game when he's not on and a game where he is, maybe a little bit rusty because the only time I've seen him look really human is coming off of those layoffs. Those first two games against the Rangers, everybody was talking about, Oh, have they, you know, the lightning run out of steam. Is Vasilevsky come down to earth? Uh, Shesterkin is the better goaltender. And I think there was an Igor's better chant during that series. Whenever the games were in New York. Well, I think we found out in the long run, uh, it really wasn't the case. And it was um, Shesterkin looking a little susceptible. I saw him give up some goals that were very uncharacteristic giving up goals on the short side. Uh, and, you know, to his credit, you're not expecting to have the lightning captain punch one out of your glove either, which happened for the game winner the other night. Uh, and that probably um, goes a different way at different times, different referees and different video goal reviews. I mean, I know everybody's saying he got a stick on it, but I felt a little bit bad for Shesterk in there. Molly Walker, who covers the Rangers, sent out a tweet uh, about yeah. – Andrew yep. <laughs> Kopp and his post-game or wrap-up, his season wrap-up interview. She works for the New York Post. Uh, her quote that she got for Kopp regarding Jacob Truba, he was getting yelled at when we were 12 years old for taking guys' heads off. 
Uh, yeah, I bet she was also ripping the wings off of butterflies and shooting bunnies with BBs. Unbelievable that his own teammate would say that. He clearly has history with him. He knows him uh, going back. And, uh, you know, Andrew Kopp, speaking of him, put him on your wish list. I think that's a guy that everybody would love to have on your team based on what he did for the Rangers. But I thought that, uh, you know, you had mentioned that to me and I, I saw the tweet I think it's an intriguing quote and it sums up Jacob Truba. And I, you know, what's funny to me is I don't know if it's a matter of him having a good demeanor or if he's more jolly and jovial with the media. I've seen a number of his interviews throughout these playoffs and, and uh, even leading up to the end of the regular season. And I'm talking about Jacob Truba. Is it that that kind of buys him so much goodwill with the media? Because I've never seen a guy be on the other end of so many hits that were, right on the line that it seemed like we're you universally defended by every commentator, every media member, even some people in, in our fair city of Pittsburgh, when he knocked Sidney Crosby out, I know a lot of folks thought it was a bad hit, but I heard a lot of people say, well, it was a good hockey hit. What do you, you know, you, that happens whenever you play rough and tumble hockey in the playoffs. So I was a little surprised by that. And um, he, he did it every single series. He found a way to either take a player out, or lay a couple of big hits where the the butterfly's wings certainly were <laughs> torn off and left the body quivering on the ground. Mets, you mentioned how people might like Cop. I agree with you. Isn't Vetrano a free agent too? Yeah, and maybe he is the guy to target simply so he would not score on the Pittsburgh Penguins. But uh, he he is that was another guy, Tim, that just was such a great get for them. I mean, he was scoring at such a high click after he was required from the Florida Panthers. And I know they needed to open up cap space to find a way to make a play for Claude Giroux. But whenever they suddenly dried up in the playoffs and couldn't find ways to score, I bet you they would have loved to have had Frank Vitrano with that net front presence. Uh, I know they have, you know, Patrick Hornquist down there who was very quiet through the Stanley Cup playoffs. But I think Vitrano with his nose for the net and his ability to score some big goals, yeah, he, he is a really – a really big free agent for that team. And I know that they'd probably love to keep him based on the fact that they will be playing the Penguins so much down the line. And he just, he seems to score against them and everybody based on what he did after arriving in New York. When it comes to cap room to play with, to make runs at these guys or to take advantage of guys who are potentially going to be traded. Frank Saravalli of the daily Faceoff came up with quite a list that intrigued me on a number of different levels. Uh, Ex-Penguins, Penguin Killers from previous playoff series, Pittsburgh-born guys like Gibson and Miller that are out there that he mentioned. You know, in theory, the Penguins could be players. You know, if Malkin and Latang both walk, that's $16.725 million that won't be counting against the cap this year that did count against the cap a season ago to say nothing of other unrestricted and restricted free agents that they could walk, let walk, or trade uh, occasionally perhaps a blue liner or two to free up some cap space. They, for a change, Brian, really could be a team that factors into free agency or the offseason trade market. But that's only if they allow themselves that flexibility and don't try to keep everybody. They already kept Brian Rust for about $5 million a year, and as I've said to you previously, I don't fault that because no. I think if you were going to let Rust walk, you are going to have to pay just about as much for a guy of his caliber. Um, 
But when it comes maybe to even Malkin, more, yeah, right. And it comes to Malkin and Latang, you know, those guys. If you're going to keep them, it's it's probably going to cost just as much, if not close to what they cost last year, probably more collectively. And uh, then what do you do? Then you're getting nothing more than I think the next iterations of Brock McGinn and Brandon Tanev and Danton Heinen and guys of that nature to round out the roster. And I think they're a further cry from competitors than that if they were to try to take that approach again. Yeah, I, I, I'm really intrigued to uh, see what direction they go here. Uh, I, I found it more intriguing that just in the last two days here, it seems as if uh, the the news has dumped out of the Penguins organization a little bit. It seemed like there were a lot of articles and or comments being floated about how they're working hard on Chris Letang and maybe um, – that's the focal point over of Genny Malkin. And I know that kind of jives with what I heard, um, you know, a week and a half, two weeks ago that they would make Chris Letang a focal point and then kind of let the dust settle. And if Gino, if there's room for him, maybe they go down that road, but they seem an awful lot more comfortable with letting one go over the other, even though, yes, I realize the lip services, they'd love to keep both and have them end their careers here in Pittsburgh. But to your point, yes, if you sign Chris Letang, I think it's going to require, at least something like $8 million and or more because he's going to, he's coming off a career season. So he doesn't want to take less money per se. He's maybe going to be in the rust boat of if you give him a little more term with a bigger number at the end of that, maybe he's more apt to take it. But I know um, I heard your conversation with Mark Madden um, earlier on Monday. And to the point you guys were talking about, I think it is important for the Penguins that if they do make Chris Letang a priority, you've got to get that done before you hit the July 13th window because once it becomes just kind of a free-for-all, I think the offers are going to be hot and heavy and makes it a lot harder for you to get Chris Letang under wraps. Now, all of that said, there are a lot of intriguing possibilities floating around, first in terms of trade candidates, in terms of actual free agents. I know everybody loves Vince Trocheck. His name has come up an awful lot. I've heard it from more than one person that he would be somebody they would look to. And I know I told you last week that if David Morehouse was still in the Penguins organization, I think that would be a, a number one target because he's still very bitter or he was very bitter that they didn't end up with one of those Pittsburgh kids back in that 2012 draft that really kind of pained him. So I, I think it's going to be wild to see people from the 2012 draft being on the move because you'll probably see, um, like you said, John Gibson's name floating around. Trocheck's name is going to be floating around. All of a sudden now, Alex DeBrinkett's name's floating around uh, as a trade candidate. And boy, who wouldn't love to have that kid on your team? So I think that there's some some dust that has to settle internally with Latang, a number of the other free agents as well. Tim, I mean, we're not even talking about the fact of Raquel. Um, they'll probably end up moving on from Brian Boyle. They've got to determine what they want to do with Kapanen. Um, Evan Rodriguez is somebody that might take uh, a team friendly deal again to stay here if they want to keep that kind of um, chameleon esque player that he's been. He's been able to play just about anywhere in their lineup. So they they may have a number of guys signed, but I think that it comes down to freeing up a couple more bucks, as you mentioned in your question, of moving one of these defensemen. Maybe it's Marcus Pedersen or a John Marino. Because that four, the extra $4 million would go a long way towards helping you get whatever you want to get done with Chris Letang, uh, you know, signed, sealed, and delivered, and still give you some latitude with the extra four to add on to what you will then have. Because if you give Letang $8 million, that's going to take you down to about 15 and I think it might even take more than that 
So 14 and a half, add on another four or so, then you have 18 to still wade into free agency to try and fill your number two center slot if you let Evgeny Malkin go. But the intrigue is going to abound this summer with all the names, and it's probably going to be one of the most exciting free agent periods we've had in the league in quite some time, maybe since Parisi and Suter were floating around, and of course the Penguins were involved in those conversations as well. What about Petrie and Anderson, two guys from the Canadians that we remember well? Yeah, you know, the main thing there is Anderson is is an intriguing player just because I don't think it really worked out up there so much for him, but I think he has a lot of talent and he can score and do some things like that. But the Jeff Petrie thing... Perpetually better than he actually is on the ice. Perpetually viewed to be better than he is statistically all the time. Yes, yes. And he hasn't even been as good up there since Shea Weber was gone. I mean, he was really excellent in their run to the Stanley Cup. And, of course, he became legendary with his weird red eyes. I don't know if he went Sith after that injury, uh, if it was something like that, if you recall, when he had the, the big hit that like kind of made his eyes extra bloodshot. Uh, it was, his kids were afraid of him at that time, if I remember correctly. <laughs> but Petrie, Petrie has always been a, a good player who has been thought more highly of than his, than what he performs. And to hear him being mentioned as a replacement for Chris Letang is a bit comical. I would love to have a Jeff Petrie. I think he's a good hockey player. But there is no way on earth that he is able to do exactly what Letang does. He's not going to do it offensively. He might be able to play a lot of the minutes that Letang does, but I don't know that you're getting the same breakout and the same everything you do with Letang to plug him in. If you could find a way to do it, though, to have him on a team with Chris Letang, I think that would be a great kind of you know one-two punch in your top four. Uh, but I, I just I don't know that he's a replacement. But I, he is a good player. What do you think it would take to get Debrinket, Fiala, or Miller? And could the Penguins swim in those waters? I don't think they can. Oh, boy. No, I don't know that they have the assets to do that, Tim. Uh, Miller being intriguing simply based on the fact of who's the GM over there. Well, he's not the GM now, but. Um, is involved on the other end of that conversation because we know GMJR has an affinity for a number of these players that the Penguins do have in their cupboard. Um, maybe he would be intrigued by something with one of the roster defensemen. Maybe POJ gets involved in that conversation. I know that he was very intrigued by John Marino when he was dangling a Brock Besser. If you listen to the rumors going up to the trade deadline, I don't know that that gets it done for a JT Miller, but boy, wouldn't you love to have him? And I'm still really ruining the day that they weren't able to close the deal. I think I mentioned it to you last week. There was a, a very strong rumor that I, I believe to be something that was, con- you know, a conversation that happened. Penguins came very close to acquiring JT Miller from the New York Rangers before he went to Vancouver. And it was close to a done deal. And their ownership essentially nixed it. They didn't want to have that, that player stay in division and play against them. So, we could have had him here in Pittsburgh, but I, I think that that's a, an intriguing one based on who is in charge in Vancouver. I think the Brinkett, they are looking for first-round draft picks, probably high a, a high first-round draft pick from what you read, as well as a roster player at least, because they think that could be a good way to jumpstart their rebuild in Chicago. And if they do that, maybe even – I know they said that they will not trade Kane, Taves, or um, uh, who am I thinking of, the defenseman there – the all three of those players, they probably wouldn't move. But I think if you're rebuilding the way that they are, maybe that muddies the waters for their own trades. If they suddenly have someone calling on Patrick Kane, which I know happened at the trade deadline, 
people called about him. So those two um, are, are very intriguing. If I had my druthers, I would love out of the three names you mentioned, I would love Miller or Debrinket more than, than just about anybody else who's available. One other intriguing name, Tim, that I haven't heard a lot of talk about locally, but I've read a lot about it nationally. Mark Shifley could suddenly be available via trade as well. And I think that he would be an intriguing number two center option if he ended up losing Evgeny Malkin. And that might come a little bit easier than any of these other players simply because Winnipeg wants to make some changes. What about the theory that the Devils might want to trade the second pick? And that could mean Logan Cooley. But you know what? I, there couldn't be a better story. I mean, if you could find a way to jump into that conversation and and get that player, keep him at home. He grew up in the Penguins uh, Learn to Play program. You know, I just was reading an article in the, the Penguins magazine that they published that took the place of ice time. And he talked about getting his first pat, pair of hockey equipment from Sidney Crosby in the little Penguin Learn to Play program that Sid um, instituted here in town. So I think that would be awesome. Uh, it's probably a pipe dream, but it wouldn't shock me if they ended up making a trade to even move back just a little bit because they've acquired a number of, you know, very good players over the last handful of drafts. I mean, obviously he sure came in, Jack Hughes came in with very high draft picks. Maybe you can get away from selecting another top five forward and drop down a little bit and still get yourself a pretty good player. And they know people would pay a premium to get that number two pick based on the fact that, people pretty much universally believe this is a three or four top prospect draft. And then it kind of drops off a little bit. Once you hit the number five spot with, um, you know, I think it's Shane Wright and Cooley being pretty much talked about as one or the other will go to the Canadians. And then who is ever at number two, will take the other guy. So if, if Cooley is there, boy, how cool would that be? See, I, I was hearing that the, um, the I think he's a winger, the uh, Slovakian who plays in the Finnish Oh, yeah, yeah. People love him too, Tim. Yeah, you're right. That and the he, Devils might take him and then Arizona takes Cooley. Which that could happen too. I just saw a mock draft that showed it that way with Cooley going to Arizona. So it's just, it's all going to depend on what Montreal does, I think. You know, I mean, because they could take either one of those three players and then it would kind of destroy everybody's mocks that they've already put out. Uh, I know... Chris Peters, uh, who does a great job ranking prospects, just had Cooley rated the number one North American skater on his rankings, which was kind of a neat thing to see because almost everything you see published has Cooley at number two or three. Uh, So I thought that was really a neat thing to see the fact that the Pittsburgh kid, at least by one guy's rankings, sat atop the, the list after the combine as the number one rated prospect. That's kind of a cool thing. Cool feather in the cap, Pittsburgh. All right, Mets, before we go, I got Avs in seven. How about you? Uh, I think they are going to win. I, I just It's so hard to win three Stanley Cups in a row. It's unprecedented in this day and age. But, you know, we thought it was unprecedented whenever the Penguins won back-to-back, and now that's been met uh, just a handful of years later by the Lightning. But I do, I do agree with you. I think that the Avalanche will win, and um, – it probably is going to require seven games, but I'm going to say they're going to do it in six games simply because I think that the lightning are going to kind of uh, short out a little bit here. It's a little too much hockey played. And for them, they even did it. I know they played less games over a couple of those seasons with the shortened years and the pandemic, but they had to play all that hockey in a little less time too. When you look at the actual overall time span, 
So I think this is the the time for the avalanche, and I think they will get it done in six. And Cal McCarr will end up getting the the Conn Smythe Trophy unless Nathan McKinnon does something truly remarkable in this final series. And I'm of the opinion that the Lightning as a three-time champion, like that doesn't befront me at all. I'm not put off by it at all. I know some Penguins fans are. I don't equate them winning three in a row to diluting the Penguins winning two in a row twice. Like I'm not doing that sort of math in my head. Um, I, I think they're worthy champions. I think they play like champions. I think they carry themselves relatively well. Uh, you know, they're largely a homespun team. They did it yep. the right way. Um, I don't have a problem with their coach. You know, like he does the little passive aggressive thing that probably irritates you <laughs> if, you're, if your team's going against him in a best of seven. We've seen that act before. We've seen it after regular season games for crying out loud from Cooper. But yep. largely, there are other coaches I dislike more. I like him more than Gallant. I know that. You know, like, I, I didn't understand why some people were somehow rooting for the Rangers in Pittsburgh just because they were sick of seeing Tampa win it. I mean, it's not like they're the Patriots. <laughs> it's not like they're the Yankees or the Dodgers or something like that. Yeah, if you want to hate on the, the Lightning for anything, you can hate on them for their cap management, but kudos to them. They found ways to do it that work to their benefit. And to the point you made, I, I agree. I'm not going to be – I'm not too too upset about it. I mean, yeah, just I, – I would prefer to just not have them win again just because. I mean, I'd like to see something different. But that said, they've really got, come a long way. They've built their team the right way. They found a way to keep their homegrown stars – provided other players that really complimented them very well. Corey Perry coming in, playing in his third consecutive Stanley Cup final for a third different team is kind of a neat story. Patrick Maroon now is going to win. If he wins, what's it, four straight for him? Because he won with the... Uh, yeah, he's the, he's the Don Blues. Baylor on skates. Yeah, it's... Robert it's just, Ory. Some really kind of like neat stories surrounding them. And then they went out and made a couple really sneaky good trades coming down the, the, uh, down the stretch here. Nick Paul coming on board, also acquiring Brandon Hagel from the Blackhawks, which kind of raised a number of eyebrows, who's not an old player by any means. They're in a rebuild. Brandon Hagel's 23. He comes in. He's doing great things for the Lightning. Uh, all their all their good their top players getting it done, and uh, I agree with you. I mean, you've got the best goalie. You've got probably one of the best, if not the best, defenseman with Victor Hedman, and he's going to do that for years more to come. You've got Kucherov. You got Stamkos. It's it's a cool story, and um, I'm not going to be upset if the if either of these teams win. I, I think the they they both deserve it. They both have had outstanding seasons, uh, and it's somebody either doing something historic or somebody getting over the hump. So good stories all the way around. But I still think the Avs probably find a way to close it out. All right. So my thanks to Brian Metz of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. He'll join us again next week. We'll be midway through the finals by that point. We'll have Mets on once or twice more, and then we'll get Mets on probably sometime in July to talk about free agency and any trades that the Penguins make in the draft, too, with Logan Cooley likely going in the top three, the West Mifflin product. Tomorrow on the Pittsburgh CityCast, Mike Pursuta for his weekly visit. We talk to Mike about all things gambling, and then Brian Taylor of Real Golf Radio joins us to preview the U.S. Open and close out our week here in the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com.